Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Hey everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. My name is Aaron Hickson. I'm the Rochester campus pastor. So glad that you have joined us. And I just want to always say thank you. And especially those who are willing to give us a rate, review, subscribe, and comment and all the things. It helps us. It's encouraging to Drew and I, and I think it helps us get a little bit more spread. So we appreciate you being willing to do it. And one quick piece of housekeeping before we jump into the actual content from this week's episode. And that is that next week is Thanksgiving. So as a result of that, we are going to give everyone some much needed relief from this podcast. We are not going to be recording. Uh, So take a week off. We'll jump back in um, on the 30th of November. We'll we'll record on the 30th, release on December 1st. um, And that'll be with Matt Snyder as he teaches the week after Thanksgiving. So we'll jump back in. We'll take a week off. And hopefully everybody has a chance to recover their sanity and not have to listen to Drew and I mumble. And speaking of Drew, how are you doing, man? I am doing well. Um, I got a good day to go to the DMV. I had a 12 o'clock appointment, didn't get in until one o'clock. So it is the DMV, people. <laughs> it runs just like it used to. COVID hasn't changed. At least COVID hasn't changed one thing. There's it's one the- thing you can depend on. I had a dentist appointment at 8 a.m. and you went to the DMV at noon. I'm telling we had like the most, that's like the most Monday things you could possibly do. <laughs> Uh, I actually, I don't mind, I don't mind going to the dentist. I'll say we have a, we have a good dentist, the, the hygienist who we have each time somehow knows and remembers like every detail you ever tell her. She has an incredible memory. I'm so impressed with her. What do your kids start going to the DM or to the dentist? To the DMV. (laughs) Don't take your kids to the DMV, but even the dentist, like, oh, it's just... Yeah, I'm sure we were probably supposed to have already taken Grayson. Um, he'll be four in February, but we haven't yet. So I, don't I mean, know. he's probably about that age. I don't think you're like way behind the eight ball. Okay. I mean, if he gets, if you go to the dentist for the first time, he's like, "Oh, he has cavities in all of his teeth." You, you realize you're too late. Probably <laughs> it turns out we were behind. Yeah, no, I mean, he brushes his teeth. Lincoln is actually in a funny phase where he's now copying everything, and now he literally his favorite thing. He just carries around a toothbrush all day and brushes his teeth which is kind of cute, but also probably the least sanitary thing he could do for his teeth right now because it's just wherever that toothbrush was laying last and it goes right back in his mouth. So that's exciting. <laughs> just great, great parenting there. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Speaking of that, let's move to other terrible decisions like speeding. I'm impressed that you've only had one speeding ticket. Yeah, I, I don't speed. Like that's just like the reality. When I drive on the highway, I'm going long trips. I set my cruise around nine miles an hour over the speed limit and I've never been pulled over. So I don't like necessarily drive like so slow that people are like, get out of off the road. I just speed like crazy. Sure. So nine miles over is your like, that's the go-to speed of not too fast that it's dangerous, but not too slow that it's also dangerous. <laughs> well, and I have a lot of police officer friends. So every once in a while, I'm like, listen, if I'm cruising at this, will I get pulled over? And uh-huh. if they say no, I'm good to go there. That's, that's the line. All right. I've had a couple of them. Um, I'm trying to think I've had two. One, I was driving home from church um, in our first year at Northridge and I was not paying attention on 104 and 104. I feel like it's pretty easy to get going for one. It's only 55 and it feels like it ought to be 65. And then um, I was not paying attention. I was going 80. (laughs) Wait, for everybody to know, did that almost happen to you yesterday? 
<laughs> you passed me. Dude, so. I passed you. And I would, you as, you, as I was passing you, I was like, oh, this is classic. He's driving the speed limit. And I have never there's seen a cop, cop at that spot at 104. There. I've never seen a cop there either. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to just confess my sin. I was like, I hope that joker gets a ticket. Pull him over, officer. Pull him over. I was going, I was going like 66 when I saw the police officer. And I was like, that's 11. Exactly. And that's why I was like, because again, it it doesn't feel that fast, but 104 is 55 and it's so easy. I mean, I drive it every day. I ought to know, but regardless, I was going 80, got pulled over. And actually that was, that was years ago. And the state trooper literally told me, I was like, he's like, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, honestly, I was just not paying attention. I'm coming home from church. And I dropped the church thing, but he, he said, he, he literally told me that the town of Webster wants the, the state police want, have to be posted there. And they're like wanting to do more tickets but the town of Webster, like really hates it for some reason. They like get annoyed. Like I'm sure the people of Webster don't like it being more heavily patrolled or whatever. And so he just said, if you contest this to court, like, I promise you, they won't give you an actual like speeding ticket violation or whatever. And I just said, okay, I don't even know. I didn't know how to do anything. I just like filled out the paperwork and showed up at court and they gave me like a failure to something. I don't know, like I ran a light. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but it was not the fine that I should have gotten. That was an example of mercy for sure in, in my life related to the police. So I've gotten a couple of them. Lauren actually got hit hard on a 55 to 35, like you were describing, but she got like, it was, it was way out in the country. So we were new to New York. We didn't know where we were. It was like 1130. We were coming home from something, um, maybe even seeing family like out of town. So it was really late and didn't see it. Went down to 35. Again, this like country back winding road. And she was going like, yeah, like 55 and a 35. And the, the cop like lit her up, not only for that, but apparently we hadn't like switched over our registration yet properly in some way. We had just moved. So like, her, she got points on her brand new New York state license. The, we got a fix it ticket for our car because we had a taillight we didn't realize was out and she got a speeding ticket. She got like, it was like a $700 fine in points on our license. It was horrible. <laughs> I should have cried. That usually works when women cry. Boom. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. The point is we all know what grace can feel like and not feel like, uh, when, when, I, we should not complain if I got a speeding ticket or my wife because we were speeding, but it definitely is one of those moments where you're desperate for mercy. And I can imagine that Moses felt the same way when homie struck the rock. And that's exactly what God told him to do the last time water came from a rock. <laughs> I would have been like, I absolutely could see myself being like, okay, God, like I get it, you know, all the holiness thing, but can you cut me some slack? Because that feels excessive. Mm, yeah, I agree. You know, I think that's the difference between God and culture a little bit is God calls, like you think about pastors and elders and you think about people leading, like Moses leading a nation. He calls uh, the people in leadership to a higher standard rather than a different standard. And, you know, in our culture, it feels really weird when uh, Moses is, you know, called on the carpet for something so small but I think God knows small disobedience leads to even larger disobedience. If we want to put them in those terms, I think mm-hmm. disobedience is disobedience. Um, and I, I get it. I understand. I feel the same way. Like, come on, man, God, I mean, Moses has been a pretty good leader. Like you could just right. come some slack. I'm like cheering for the guy or just yeah. give him a little less severe of a punishment. Like right. let Aaron lead for like, 
<laughs> you think Moses feels bad? What about Aaron? It says yeah. Moses and Aaron don't get to go to the promised land. So if I'm Aaron, I'm like, yo, Moses, I told you to speak to the rock, man. Come on. Now I don't get the milk and honey over there. Yeah. I just think God's standard is completely different than ours. And so we don't ever understand a lot of the consequences he brings because we don't understand his holiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, who knows if there's even more going on in that story that we don't understand at a cultural level or something, I, you know, there's, there's, and we also don't get to question God, you know, just like with the police officer where if the rules are the rules, then technically every time the rules are violated, the consequences ought to exist and be the same. It's only because occasionally there is mercy, there is grace, there is, you know, something other than that, that you start to expect that every single time. But the fact is, you know, rules are rules. And, and as you said, like regret doesn't negate sin's consequences. And there have been a lot of people, you know, us included, that that's like an important life lesson to learn. And the same thing with Novak Djokovic. Like, I think you, I remember hearing about that clip and thinking, well, they didn't, they, they're not going to disqualify him. And then they did. And I remember thinking like, ouch, that seems really harsh. Like, why don't you just let him off? And then it's like, no, actually, in retrospect, those are the rules. Like, you don't get to go, oh, my bad. I didn't intentionally hit you. The rules are if you hit an official with a ball, like in any way, then it, it doesn't speak to intent. It just means you shouldn't be smacking the ball around in anger. That's like an yeah. immature, childish decision. And sometimes it has unintended consequences. Like, right. And sometimes we learn the most from those, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm sure, and I'm hoping Novak Djokovic isn't going to be smacking the ball around on the court anymore. I think he's going to learn from that lesson. And sometimes severe consequences actually are the most beneficial to us because they remind us a lot more readily than something that's like, oh, here's a slap on the wrist. We usually, oh, okay, no big deal. That wasn't that bad, right? Mm -hmm. But like the severe consequences, I bet you, we don't know, we don't have insight into this in the Bible, but I bet you Moses learned a lot from this moment in his life. Um, I'm sure it changed him. Um, and I think he looked, he probably looked at God a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. Those more severe, it's, it's funny though, because we say that and simultaneously, obviously the story you told of your dad and the, and your brothers, it was that lavish, seemingly lavish display of grace that taught you enough to the point that you now years and years later recall it, you know, with vivid detail and mean it like it was still a significant, meaningful story. And yet also you've, you've also told and talked about how some of the more severe consequence moments, like basically it's at the extreme ends of both grace and severe mercy that you, you maybe learn the most. Well, I almost contradicted myself in my own message because I'm, I'm telling everybody point two lesson learned is like, sorry, doesn't negate the consequences. But then I tell a story of, (laughs) When I said sorry, asked for forgiveness, I didn't have to experience the consequences. And as a Christian, that is the amazing thing of God is there are consequences for our sins. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God made a way that if we submit to Jesus in faith and we believe in what he did, we get out of the worst of consequences, which is his wrath and judgment poured out on our sin. And so it's this unique balance of, yeah, there are consequences for our sin, but ultimately Jesus took care of the, the major consequences of eternity that we don't have to experience. And if I had to pick one or the other, I'd pick what, what God picked all day long. Yeah, absolutely. The, the natural consequences, God doesn't. In fact, I would say 
it's not even that common where God uh, removes natural consequences from our life, but he does remove through Christ all eternal consequences. Yep. Um, which is, you know, the beauty there. And the the spies, I, I loved your point about how it's not like, the spies were not designed, this is a total shift, by the way, to another topic, but um, it's not a military advantage trip. It's uh, like, this is a hype campaign. This is basically a, a trip to be there in order to come back with um, like propaganda about how cool <laughs> this place is about to be. You know? I was thinking about this, Aaron, and uh, is there a time where God sent spies out that was actually a military advantage campaign? Think about when he sent spies out and really ultimately into Jericho. It wasn't to get an advantage. It was to bring Rahab and meet with Rahab and bring her out of into the, really the family of God. And so that necessarily wasn't, they weren't trying to get some advantage, but they were going to march around the city and, and shout. Right. So like, where's the military advantage there? No, they were trusting in God. Here he sends out spies and you know what? Like, yeah, I'm trying to think uh, as you're saying that, like, what are some examples of an advanced group going to do some reconnaissance and it being for the purpose of military advantage? And I, you know, there are a number of times where like raiding parties or, you know, smaller groups like David takes over Jerusalem with a small raiding party. But like, I don't know, you know, it could just be one of those examples where like, spies are sent because that's what you do. You know, like we're not, we're not dumb. Like we God operates within human means. And so he, they send spies and they don't know, of course, the, the spies that went to Jericho didn't know that God had a redemptive purpose sure. in sending them there. I'm sure they felt like they were doing real live reconnaissance, like straight, you know, 007 level stuff going into this. They realized it though, when Joshua was like, hey, we're going to march around the city. <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're like, hey, so uh, if I was one of those spies, I'm like, hey, can we talk real quick about like why you put me in harm's way so that this could be the outcome? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Real yeah, good strategy. God sent 12 spies out ultimately for them to do a horrible job that he knew they would do. Right, yeah. You know, like, again, and this is just part of the journey that God sees the bigger picture than we don't, but I, I, I found that interesting. I thought of those two times where God sent spies out. And I was like, man, God uses spies differently than we do, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately to fulfill his purpose. But when we send spies out, it's we're, we're gaining information. We're trying to get some sort of advantage to learn to attack. And yeah, it was just different for the both of those times, at least. I've never thought about this until right now, but there were 10 and two, which in the end with the divided kingdom, there were 10 Northern tribes and two Southern tribes. Um, I never thought about that until right now. And I don't know what tribes Joshua and Caleb were from. I don't wonder if there's any parallel to that or if it's just a coincidence. I mean, at some level, I'm sure it's a coincidence. It didn't, it's not like when the tribes divided, they divided based on the spies back in Exodus, but I think of this or in numbers, but I think the, um, that is an interesting thing, 10 and 2. Numbers are all over the Bible in interesting ways. And there are whole branches of um, biblical and pseudo-biblical studies <laughs> based around those numbers. Um, by the way, okay, hold on. We have to take a little pause for our, our people who are watching. You're drinking a Starbucks drink that looks very festive, so we need to at least discuss what it is. First of all, shout out to my mom who brought this to me about an hour ago. Surprise. Hallelujah. Today, when you or whenever you listen to this, surprise somebody with some coffee. It made my day. It also says, you know, carry the Mary. So carry some Mary to somebody, you know, and it's a Starbucks caramel brulee. The holiday season flavors are out. So praise mm. the Lord. Hallelujah. Landfill, um, honey, Starbucks and Chick-fil-A. 
<laughs> what? Yeah, I, I have questions that are not relevant that I was about to ask you. It sounds delicious. Caramel, you can't go wrong with it. I'm a caramel, not a caramel type person. So I just want you to get that out there. I hope you're not a caramel person. You said caramel brulee. No, that's yeah. that's encouraging. Okay. Um, I, you, you brought up a parallel to Passover um, that I think was helpful in, you know, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The fact that God's wrath is poured out on something other than the guilty or offending party goes back to Passover. And I think once you, as I was listening, I, I thought, once you know about the Passover motif of sacrifice, of the, the potential for really great punishment that doesn't come to you as a result of sacrifice. Once you understand that that's a motif in the Bible, it basically is going to start showing up like obviously literally everywhere um, because that is redemption. I mean, that is the the story of the Bible. In fact, if you have to give, I remember at one point somebody asking like, how, how what's the, the core or the essence of the gospel? Like what's the one thing that somebody needs to understand in order to truly understand the essence of the gospel? And I think I, I've thought about that and answered it just it's substitution. Like without the idea of Christ in your place, you don't have the essence of the gospel. And that's what Passover is. It's a lamb in their place. That's what, the you know this passage here is we're understanding the holiness of God. It's all about something in your place, and that theme will be relevant for all of the sacrificial system. That's what the entire sacrificial system is: is right. is animals and goats and and birds and and uh, bulls and everything in the place of the people of Israel, and then eventually the once for all sacrifice Christ in the place of all of us. Um, I guess I'm realizing that wasn't a question. <laughs> Good stuff, though. I mean, I totally get it. <laughs> I'm like waiting for you to respond and realizing, like, oh, I guess, I guess I didn't ask him anything. <laughs> oh, our so audience is used to that, Aaron. I don't think you have to apologize for that. <laughs> that's that's very true. That's very true. Um, okay, so you asked the question, "What might you lose if that's what you choose?" That is a helpful, um, w- like a diagnostic question. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Like you said, you should get that tattooed somewhere. I don't remember how you said it. That's how I took it. <laughs> Um, your hearts is what I said, just for the record, so no one's out there getting tattoos. But if you choose to, I don't think it's a bad idea. But, hey, but you need to ask. You might lose if you get that tattooed on your arm or head or heart. Yeah, or what head. job might you lose if that's what you choose? <laughs> the irony. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, just talk to us about that. Like, what is it about that question that can be so revealing? Well, I just think it's, you know, when you make decisions, I think we, we often zoom in on the current present thing we're making a decision on. And that makes sense. I think you need to do that. But I also think we have to think bigger than just what's going on right now or the decision we have to make right now. And what this question mm-hmm. does is it forces you to not only think about the present, but the future, because some decisions don't affect just your present. I would say almost all decisions, you know, some are bigger than others, obviously, but some decisions sound really good right now mm-hmm. and cost a lot later. You know, you think about dating. I, I mentioned dating, like sex before marriage is a great example of this is it sounds really good when you're in a relationship. Hey, why not? We should connect. We should figure out if we're compatible. Those are all present focuses, but what you don't realize is 
you're hurting your relationship for the future, whether it changes or not. It it breaks down things that God didn't intend to be in that relationship right now. And it affects that future that you desire and you want. And I think that's a great example of just one decision of the many that we make that we have to think not only in the present, but in the future. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's things that we can lose and there's um, like things that we currently have that we could lose. But in also in bad decisions, there are things that we could have gained that we won't as a result of it. You know, it's like, it's not just loss of things that you currently have. It's the, it's the loss of future potential that of things that you, you know, might've been able to experience or might've been able to, um, accomplish. Um, and yeah, I definitely, for instance, if we'll just go back to speeding, I don't think that as I'm driving too fast, which I can have a tendency to do, like you said, set the cruise, but I'm, I can set the cruise at the wrong speed. Uh, what I need to be asking is what might I lose if that's what I choose? Like, yeah, okay, I'll get somewhere a little bit faster. Um, so it's got every, everything has it, its advantages in some ways. But if I were to really sit down and before I get in the car, before I turn it on, if I were to say, okay, I can arrive at this destination at this time, or if I speed, you know, three minutes earlier, those are those two things, or I can pay a $700 ticket with points on my license that I then have to take classes to have removed. Like of those things, what sounds like the reasonable choice? And then once you've got it, like once you sit down and lay it out, it's a no brainer. Like, of course, I don't want to speed. This is a dumb decision. But it's usually because, as you said, we don't take the time to actually ask questions like this. Um, we are reactive to all of our life. We're not thinking proactively. We're certainly not good enough at like pro-con lists, et cetera, <laughs> to like really, especially on day-to-day decisions. We just don't think that way. That's why I don't speed, honestly, is because I am such a cheap guy that paying a hundred and some dollars for a couple miles an hour mm-hmm. it, it, it would drive me crazy. And, and and this is wild, but when I drive, a lot of times I will watch somebody who passes me, you know, especially when you're driving like from day-to-day driving. I'm not talking about like a long trip, five-hour trip. I'm talking about day-to-day driving. How many times do people pass me? And then at a light, I catch back up with them. Yeah. And I'm like, you put yourself at risk and you didn't gain anything on me because that light. Now, I, I would love to see a study of just like... Sure all these driving, you know, simulations where this person goes this fast and this person goes this fast from here to there. And like, how often do they get there that much faster? Because Mm. what I found is like in my, in in my day-to-day work to work, driving grocery, I'm usually like right with the same cars that are going pretty much the same place I am. And it doesn't matter how fast we're driving. It kind of catches up. Yeah. It's like a perceived temporary advantage with a huge potential cost. And I think that that's probably true in a lot of, you know, there's an analog there for a lot of the kinds of sinful decisions we can make. Even going back to Moses, right? Like it's a very temporary release of frustration of whacking the rock. And what's odd is God honors it. Like that's, that's the thing that kind of blows my mind is God isn't like, um, I'm sorry, young man, let's try it again, following my instructions, which is what I would have done as a parent, been like, that wasn't part of it. But it's so confusing. Okay, I, I just want to mirror back to the, because we talked about a mental bookmark in that story. God, before tells him to strike the rock, he, he gives him the instructions, pick up your staff that you used at the Red Sea, take it to this rock, whack it, and I will provide water. And that's exactly what Moses does. He goes over and he whacks it. And then in this story, he tells him the same thing. Hey, go grab the staff, go out in front of the people of Israel and speak to the rock. In other words, it's like, it's this huge setup of like, you've got the staff in your hand, you've done this before, but instead of whacking it, speak to it. And 
So, you know, whether he goes into autopilot or obviously we know that he didn't trust in God because of the commentary that comes later from God in that dialogue, but he chooses whack. It's temporary frustration. He releases that like anger, you rebels, whack, whack. And then God's like, okay, fine. You know, like they need the water and I'm happy to provide it. In fact, I intended to do so all along, but Moses, now we're going to have to have a conversation and it's not going to be good, you know? And it's such a small advantage that ended up having a huge consequence. In, mo- in God's defense, there's like a, th- I don't know, 40 year gap between those two things. That's true. <laughs> Just that point of reference, like that happened. To, this was after pretty much the wandering. So I might not have been 40 years, but 20, 30. So like how many times do we remember? Oh, wait, I remember God said, speak to the rock, hit the rock. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm pretty sure. Sure, It wasn't like 10 minutes afterwards, but although uh, also how many times in Moses's life does he go up to a rock to have water come out of it? Well, I mean, in Moses's life, there's a lot of pretty cool things that happen. So like maybe in our lives, like, yeah, that seems extreme. But for Moses, I think like, okay, I should probably just do what God says. Cause every time I do what God says, really good things happen. You know, that's true. It's an extremely, that's like the most low grade miracle in his entire life. We would be like, that would be a that would be a defining moment for any of us, and for him, it's like yeah, some water and stuff. Also, remember, he's also thrown a, a log in water, and it's gone from like nasty, bitter to like beautiful. So, like he's done a lot of things with certain tools, different tools to get water to be drinkable. So, I don't think this is like new in his routine of like, wait, what? What, what is God gonna? Is he gonna be hit the rock, speak to the rock, throw the wood? You know, so yeah, it's not like he has an established routine. In the end, the point is, it's a very temporary, short-term advantage, barely even an advantage. It's just a release of frustration and a lack of trust. And I think that is it. I think we got to read the text too, because God says, because you did not trust in me enough. Notice God didn't say, you didn't speak to the rock. He doesn't say that. He says, you didn't trust me enough. And I think the difference is we look at the action that Moses you know, the action he chose instead of the action God said, God is not looking, I don't think directly at that. I think he's looking at Moses's heart, something only God can do. Mm -hmm. And what he sees is the full picture. It's something that we don't get access to. Right. Yeah. And so he goes straight for motive, right? He skips all over the actions, all over the, all of the phenotypes, all the physical expressions and goes straight for the genotypes, right? What's actually going on in the heart? What's at the... Well, think about this. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a father and son. I remember like the most hard words to hear from my dad or from my mom were you disappointed me. Sure. Not you did this. Right. You disappointed me. And think about what hit Moses. If God was to say to Moses, you hit the rock. How Mm -hmm. dare you? Like, that's probably not going to hit Moses. You didn't trust in me enough, Moses. You know that, you know, that had to hit Moses hard. Absolutely. And, and I think uh, as parents though, like that is a, that should shape the way we parent a little bit too, mm-hmm. or like lead our business and how we correct people is yeah. we often go after the action. And I know we can't see the heart, but as parents, as people, we're, we're called to shape the heart. And that's the difference mm-hmm. between, you know, get, you know, when I, when I correct my discipline, my kids, when I do it out of love, I'm, I'm after their heart, shaping their mm-hmm. heart. When I'm, you know, doing it out of just, frustration i'm just correcting a behavior exactly and yeah he goes for the motive and the motive is a lack of trust and the lack of trust you even indicate that's really all of us right like anytime we choose disobedience it indicates a lack of trust and i think i had to i had to you know make sure i got my head around that of fully understanding it and it does in the end i think it it plays out right like any choice 
whether it's lust or anger or disobedience or disrespect or gossip or any kind of sin that we can engage in, it is ultimately a lack of trust that God's way will produce the kind of results that I both want and most importantly need. Like, I don't trust God's way in terms of sexuality. It's not going to satisfy. I don't trust God's way in terms of, you know, speaking kindly of other people because I feel like I just need to get this off my chest. Well, yeah, God describes, I know it feels like you need to say that terrible thing about another person, but the way that God describes gossip is it's, that's actually poison for you. You know what I mean? Like you're not trusting that God describes that actually as sin and and harmful to both you and both to the speaker and to the listener. Um, You don't believe that or you wouldn't be gossiping, you know? So while it's interesting to reduce all sin to one particular thing, distrust, I think that it, it, it works in the end. Well, and one thing I forgot to say in my message, it was in my notes. I was so mad at myself and granted I was five minutes over my time. So it's probably, it was probably the Lord making me forget. (laughs) (laughs) But when you think about, you know, Moses' story and his consequences, we often have, you know, like this, wow, God, that seems steep. But I actually think that's the best thing for us because sin, disobedience to God should stink. And I think that sting God actually brings because the sting of the pain of our sin is actually the very thing that draws us back to God. Mm. And I think in our culture today, what's happening a lot is we as parents, as leaders, aren't allowing people to feel the weight of their of their decisions, their disobedience to God, their disobedience to your parents. Like a lot of parents, they try to protect their kids at all costs, right? Mm. I do this as a dad. Sure. And sometimes allowing people to feel the sting of sin, the sting of disobedience is the very key that draws our kids and people's hearts Mm -hmm. back to a loving God. And I think, you know, in Moses' story, the, the best thing that God did for Moses was making him feel that heavy sting of his consequences. Because Mm -hmm. I think every time Moses probably made a decision, he was like, Ooh, I still feel the weight and the sting of not entering the promised land. Maybe I should go a different direction. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that sting kind of rings in our ear from the weight of the consequences. And, you know, we always like, ah, why would God do that? But like, man, maybe we should look at it like, man, I need that sting, God, because I am disobedient and help that sting to remind me to live in obedience. Yeah. And the whole Bible is a story of already and not yet. Like Moses is a great leader, but he's flawed. He's leading the people to the promised land, but he doesn't get to go in. He's a prophet, but he's not the prophet like Moses who will come. You know what I mean? Like everything is a, is a shadow of what it will be in Christ. And so while, yeah, Moses in, in an individual sense, it not only shapes him for the rest of his life, no doubt, it also... Um, is a huge personal individual disappointment. It's a reminder to all of, you know, Christian history as we now follow and look back on that leader that like the, the promised land is not Israel. It, the, ultimately, the promised land is a relationship with God. And so, yeah, while it is a sharp individual disappointment, Moses in the end will has not been spending his eternity with God, disappointed for an inability to enter Canaan. His right. relationship with God has been Plenty of the reward, not right. not simply crossing over the Jordan into into the land of Canaan, you know. Yeah. So 
the, the incomplete picture is actually a blessing to all of us as well to remember that even in that sharp personal disappointment, and we will all experience those, there's a reward greater than what we thought we could experience in this life. Yeah, it's good. Alrighty, everybody, we're out of time. Thank you for listening. And of course, um, we appreciate your interaction with this. However you do engage with it digitally, we do appreciate it. Please keep your comments, questions coming. And uh, next week, we're taking a week off. Enjoy your time. Hopefully you get to spend some time with family. I recognize with restrictions, it can be tough. And please keep your eye on our social media and churchwide email and that kind of stuff, our website. We will, when we know more about restrictions related to COVID and um, gathering and all that kind of stuff, when we know about them, of course, you will know about them. We have no inside tracks and we will be responding and doing everything we can to be in compliance with mandates. We want to um, manage the tension of building God's kingdom and being in compliance to the government. So thanks for working with us as we try to do that. Appreciate you guys and we will see you next time.